Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the King kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about the keys to the kingdom of God, because you want the keys, right? Uh, Peter doesn't really have the keys. Peter never really had the keys. Christ gave the keys to all of us, and he explained what the keys are right there to Peter, and and that was recorded, and so it tells you right there in the text what the keys to the kingdom are, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's the keys to the kingdom. There's no actual, like, keys on a keychain that Peter's got that, you know, we always see Peter drawing pictures of Peter with keys because he's got the key. But that's not what the text is actually saying. And it's really obvious to those who really see the truth. To those who don't see the truth, who want to imagine they see the truth, then it becomes less than obvious. As a matter of fact, they often end up under a strong delusion. So anyway, what, what is that, what, how does that work? Bind on earth, loosed in heaven. And somebody sent me a video and then I, I got another guy who made some comments and, uh, and shared the, some of his thoughts on a subject. And, and so I was getting this witness from several different directions as to what to talk about this weekend and uh, on the show. So therefore, I'm going to be talking about that. And then, uh, of course, we're, we're up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And... That message that was coming from this other direction that I was exploring last night and when I was out in the desert in the field, I was pondering these things. I've also been pondering this idea of a determination letter. That's what a lot of ministries want, churches want, is a determination letter. And, of course, you can get one from the IRS. And it comes with strings attached. You just have to file a 1023 with the IRS and you can get a determination letter. But, of course, you don't necessarily need a determination letter from the IRS. You can get a determination letter from the church. And that also has strings attached, but not an exercising authority. And so I've been going over that and rewriting that and contemplating that and walking through the desert, doing work out there, menial tasks in the desert, laboring. Because, to me, that laboring is very much a part of the meditation process of pondering the the wisdom of the keys of the kingdom. You know, how, how do you bind and loose? And, of course, if you file a 1023, you bind. If you borrow, you bind. If you uh, uh, accept benefits, the greatest destroyers of liberty are the granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And, you know, we were quoting Plutarch, you know, who who destroyed the people of Rome? He who spread amongst them dainties and benefits. And, of course, John the Baptist talked about benefits of the kingdom and the straight way of the kingdom. But those benefits were provided by charity. If you had extra, you shared with those that did not have enough. 
And that loosens the bonds. You know, one of the things that uh, we're told when the people were in Second or First Samuel chapter 8, when they wanted a king, they wanted a ruler who could exercise authority. They wanted to elect a president, a prime minister, whatever you want to call him. He's going to be a chief executive officer, this king. God tells you, or tells Samuel, and Samuel tells you in Samuel 8, and Thomas Paine quotes Samuel in his common sense, which is not so common anymore, this whole Samuel 8 rendition that if you go this way, he's going to end up, this government that you create is going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I will not hear you. God's not going to hear you when you cry out. So, you know, that's a common theme. How do we get God to hear us? What do we have to do to get God to hear us? Well, it's really very simple. What What do you have to do to get forgiven? You believe in Jesus? Is that what Jesus said? Believe in me and you'll for, you're forgiven? No, he says, unless you forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. So, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. If you want to be heard by God, you have to listen to others. Listen to their cries if you want your cries heard. So, that's just built into the universe created by God. I can't do anything about it. That's just the way it is. Observation should tell you that. Signs of the times should tell you that. But these are strange times we live in and there's a lot going on in the world that would make it difficult for you to actually understand Second Corinthians chapter 6 because it gets into something about coming out of her, my people. And people think, oh, that's what I got to do. And they all, they all start their journey, not all, but many people start their journey with come out of her, my people, lest you be partakers of her sins. But they don't understand her sin. And they don't understand the coming out. And they don't understand all the things that John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and Paul and Peter said before. And and they want to think they know the truth. And so they go in a particular direction, which brings me to... You know, one of the videos that somebody sent me was a guy stopped on the side of the road because by the police because, I don't know, I think it might have been a sheriff's department. It was down south, I could tell by the accent. And uh, he was stopped because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And the officer asked him for his driver's license and proof of insurance. And the guy kept looking on his phone for something to say. And the cop had to keep repeating that. And the cop was very... Very patient. And the guy ended up saying that I'm not engaged in, basically, I'm not engaged in commerce and uh, I don't need to show you anything unless I, you know, I, have I committed a crime? And and the officer was trying to explain him, but he kept saying that he was not engaged in commerce, that he was just exercising his right to travel. Well, it was very painful for me to, for, to watch this. And eventually the guy had his window broken and he was dragged out and arrested. Because I can explain to the guy in the car in three minutes that you are engaged in commerce. And, you know, it might take ten minutes with this guy because you'd have to fill him in on all the blanks that he doesn't know. He's been evidently listening to somebody who's telling them that you have a right to travel and they don't have a right to make 
you know, stop you and, and get a license and everything. But I could, I could show him right there, the evidence is right before him, that he is engaged in commerce. And, uh, and I would explain it to you, but I'm, that's not the subject of this story today. <laughs> and of the show today, so I'm not gonna explain it to you. But somebody else also sent me a thing that was saying that it's all about contract and admiralty and merchant statute law. And he says states acting uh, unconscionable uh, way, creating an unilateral contract in fraud and in dishonor, shame on them. When anybody starts talking in those terms, you know, mentioning admiralty and merchant statute law or fraud, unilateral contract and fraud, uh, or just saying fraud, that this, the problems we're facing today, the lack of freedom that we're facing today, the supposed totalitarian regime, which isn't all that totalitarian, and the officer was doing his job. He didn't understand exactly how he had authority to do what he was doing, but he was probably right in doing what he was doing. I don't know what state he was in, but uh, there, you know, some states have a little bit different laws, and sometimes you can't do certain things, and officers exceed that. But it's certainly, he wasn't being totalitarian. <laughs> the guy could have—he told the guy half a dozen times or a dozen times, "You could go on your way if you just show me your license." If, if he just told him his name, he could probably run the license on his computer and know whether the guy had a license or not. I mean, if he. If he left it on his dresser, I was stopped once and I had lost my wallet and I was racing back to find my wallet with all my cash in it because I thought I had dropped it uh, on uh, the floor of a, in a shop where there were all kinds of people who might pick up that wallet and never tell me. <laughs> so I was racing back and I, of course, I passed the sheriff and, the, and a state trooper at the same time. And they pulled me over for going too fast. And I was going too fast. But they didn't give me a ticket. And uh, I explained to them, that's why I was going fast, because I lost my wallet with all my money. And I had my, the car was full of my kids, and we were going to go visit their grandmother. And so it was turning into a fiasco day. I mean, it had gotten worse, uh, gotten, started off bad and got worse and worse as, and then I ended up losing my wallet. But, uh, long story, it all turned out okay, he didn't give me a ticket and, and, uh, but he was able to, you know, I told him who I was and he was able to tell that I had a license and in those days I had a license and so he let me go. Of course, these are different days and things have changed because I actually looked up admiralty law. <laughs> I actually looked up merchant statutes. I actually looked up legal title. I actually, and we wrote all this out in books and we explained it, but people don't want to hear what we have to tell. Not all people. Some people don't want to hear because they want their ears tickled. They want to be told it's somebody else's fault. It's those globalists. It's those people in government. It's fraud. You didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else did something wrong. And so now you can just declare you're free. None of that is very biblical. It says you're going to become merchandise because of your covetous practices. And boy, that fits 
Once you understand the definition of all these words, that fits. But people don't get that. So they don't even know what it is they have to come out of. They don't know what it is they have to repent of. They don't know what it is that they have to confess or hear uh, from others in order to be heard by God. And 2 Corinthians 6 tells you, but if you don't have this background information to understand that you're the problem, what you have failed to see, what you have failed to admit, makes you the problem. There was a lady who was seeing a psychiatrist and she she told the psychiatrist that she was hoping that the problem was her. Uh, because the, the evidently there was some intimation that the problem is what other people are doing. And she was hoping it wasn't what other people were doing. She was hoping that she was the problem. And the psychiatrist kind of uh, surprised at that because that's not normally what he hears. But she said, if I'm the problem, I can do something about me. If everybody else is the problem, I can't do much about that. But, you know, it's not really very popular with people to want to know that they're the problem. And they also want to know that the solution is already done and they don't have to do anything and that that all I have to do is maybe say a few words or fill out some papers or make an affidavit, then I'm saved. But that's not the way it works. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to tie all these together, is existential threats. Because I heard that word a number of times and it just jumped out at me. So I actually looked it up. I kind of knew what you know an existential threat is and what the word means, existential threat. But I thought I'd look it up, and I'll read you the definition that pops up in Google, which isn't always the real definition of a word. I mean, like you can look up religion today in Google, and you will not find the definition of religion 200 years ago. You'll find something completely different, and that goes for a lot of other words, and some of which we'll look at today. An event that could cause human extinction or permanently and drastically curtail humanity's potential is known as an existential risk or threat. Potential global catastrophes is a catastrophic risk that includes anthropogenic risks caused by human technology, you know, nuclear weapons, government, uh, climate change. These are all considered existential threats but the reality is is the existential threat is not what really puts you into danger the internal threat in yourself it's your unwillingness to see the truth and one example of course is you know global warming everybody's worried about global warming not everybody but a lot of people are worried about global warming and if you don't admit that there's global warming you're a climate denier and the reality is is that Global warming is what it can actually, if you had a different person reporting the statistics that are available, none of which match the model. See, they we had scientists go out and create computer models of what the weather's going to do next year and the year after that and the next 12 years. And they've been doing this for more than 12 years. And every single model is inaccurate. 
it is predi- predicted way more warming than is actually taking place with the amount of CO2 that's in the atmosphere. And we can go back some of the most prolific times in the history of mankind. You do ice cores in, in um, Greenland and uh, you can find out how much carbon dioxide was in the atmosphere by the amount of carbon dioxide in the ice cores. And some of the most pro- uh, blossoming, life blossoming times in the history have been with higher degrees of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Because carbon dioxide, they actually pump it into greenhouses in order to create more growth. Because more carbon, the plants are going to start to balance it out and absorb that carbon and it will actually cause the planet to green up. And scientists are seeing this. But that does not fit the the globalist um, parameters or, or the, the the people who are trying to use global warming in order to tax the living daylights out of you and roll back the power of the individual. It's all about power. That's what this global warming is all about. Uh, there's a much greater existential threat to life on this planet, to the human life quality on this planet, to global cooling than global warming. Global warming has almost always produced prosperity in history. If you go back, like I've said in the recent shows, that Rome was prospering during a period of global warming. And actually, the Teutons were prospering during the period. Crops were better in the north. Hunting was better in the north. The, The growing seasons were longer in the north because of global warming at the time of the rise of Caesar. And supposedly now we have global warming and we see the rise of globalism. And it's actually using the supposed existential threat of global warming in order to do that. But the problem started way back farther. And the science, you know, they always say global warming, the science is settled. Well, actually it's not settled. And more and more information is coming out all the time that the only one who has a decent computer model is the Soviets, and the, probably the only reason they they have that is they haven't been quite the globalists everybody else has, and they didn't get on board with the program, and they actually made a, a weather model that was a little bit more accurate, or quite a bit more accurate than all the ones we see. My conversations, or listening to the conversations with people who are supposed to be in the know about global warming, is that these guys are even bad scientists. You know, another idea that is also supposedly, you know, just guaranteed and accepted and you, you listen to Tyson and some of these guys or the science guy who's not a science guy is the Bing, Big Bang Theory. Well, for decades now, physicists, astrophysicists have been stating very clearly or finding evidence very clearly uh, Keck Observatory issued a press release recently as well, as well as many other sources, that the Big Bang Theory doesn't pan out. <laughs> that it appears there was no Big Bang. It doesn't fit. If it, if it doesn't fit, you must quit using it. Uh, and uh, the Big Bang Theory, you know, the red shift is not the red shift. What we see as the red shift, it was an assumption. And it's not panning out. Walt Thornhill, um, 
you know, with the Electric Universe and Thunderbolt Project, uh, you can look on. Has a lot of information on this. And I don't consider him completely right on a lot of things. But now he's made some predictions, you know, about experiments in space, etc. And he was right on the money. Even though his predictions were going contrary to what most physicists would say would take place. So he's, he's definitely got pieces of the puzzle that the modern science is missing. But we're going to talk about some other things about this idea of come out of her, my people, because that's in Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 6. But come out of what? Come out of the existential threat, which is really an internal threat. If the kingdom of heaven is within you, then the kingdom of hell may be within you as well. So how do you know which one you're following? You know, are you confounded? You know, what, another story that popped up this, this week is millennials are seeing their health decline faster than Generation X, uh, which is evidently worrying experts. I mean, they're talking about 40, uh, 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 their mortality rates are climbing by more than 40% compared to Generation Xers and their own parents. So, what's happening? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the millennials that uh, people don't understand. And uh, one is vaccinations, uh, autoimmune disease, which are directly uh, connected to vaccinations. But nobody wants to see that because vaccinations are our salvation. They have saved us from polio, supposedly, from the flu, supposedly, from disease, supposedly. But people don't want to see the truth and the actual data and the actual statistics. You know, children who, and often homeschoolers are not where you'll find the larger percentage of non-vaccinated children. Their health is 400 times better in many areas. 300 to 400% better than the health of those children that are getting vaccinated. That statistic is available. Studies have come out. There's been some private studies that were coming out with this information years ago. But now there's been a recent very public study. But is that headline news? If if everybody understood that, they would stop taking vaccinations right away. You would think. But they won't. Because their faith is in medicine and in doctors. They believe that is their salvation. But we're going to talk about a few other examples of, you know, so that we walk around this problem because it crops up over and over again. Once you go into the area of understanding, you will see. We'll be right back. So a few other things that kept cropping up in my mind this week was uh, like Matthew 3, three, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophets. Isaiah say, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So what is the path that is straight? And that word straight, it, they use that numerous times in reference to John the Baptist and was trying to get the people to make the way straight. Well, that word straight is also translated right. And it has to do with righteousness. And, you know, one 
Jesus was baptized, he went up straight away. That's the same word, straight. Out of the water and to the heavens was opened. He also went up straight away and went into the wilderness and fasted. Same word again. Rightly so might be another translation of that word to go up straight away or to make the way straight. So are we making the way straight today or are we actually going the opposite way of what we should be doing? And uh, that that's what we're going to be exploring so that you know which way to go because that's what Christianity was called the way. Now we have a new Christianity just like we have a new definition of religion. We have a new definition for Christianity that you supposedly believe in Jesus. But people don't know what Jesus was really doing. He was taking the kingdom away from a group and he was going to appoint it to another group that would have to bear fruit. Now that group was the called out, the disciples of Christ. He, I, his little flock, he appointed them the kingdom. But now we have think, people going around today saying they're the church, they believe in Jesus, but are they going the straight way that John the Baptist was talking about, that Jesus was talking about? Do they live by faith, hope, and charity, or do they live by force, fear, and violence? Do, when you gather in your churches, are you sharing... So that no one has to go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Because the Jesus you say you believe in forbid us to do that. To go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to obtain our benefits. Because to do that would be taking a bite out of one another. Would be coveting our neighbor's goods through these men, these fathers of the earth, these men who exercise authority. So, most churches don't take care of the widows and orphans. They don't practice pure religion. They're, whatever they have as religion, they don't even know what the religion means, is certainly spotted by the world. It's actually immersed in the world. It is operating according to the ways of the world. And they have their token charity. You know, they'll help out some little orphan somewhere and they'll send a few bucks off to that. And they'll get a feeling of righteousness, but they're not actually seeking the kingdom of God. They're not actually following the commands of Christ, yet they want to call themselves ministers. That's a serious, 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 serious problem. And we need to repent of that. And certainly, if we're going to be those ordained ministers of Christ, we need to rebuke those people who are following the ways of the world and false religion and not going the ways of righteousness. But, you know, I've explained this a hundred different ways and I've written it out and people say that they really understand it but they don't seem to really understand it. Why don't they understand it? Well, one reason is they're eating of the tree of knowledge still. They're studying. And so they they lack the reason of Christ, which is the truth. Christ says, I am the way and the life and the truth. I am the way, he says. Is he talking about himself? I am? Well, when Moses was seeing the thing that was supposed to be a burning bush, which was not a bush and was not burning, it was a light in the distance, that looked to him like a burning bush because you would see these bushes 
burst into flames out on the desert through spontaneous combustion, and within a few minutes they would burn up and go out. Except he saw this light out there on the desert, and it did not go out. So he called it a burning bush because it looked. Because if you looked out on the desert, I mean, if I look out on the desert here, I can see the airport, thirty miles away, forty miles away, and there's a light out there. But I know it's the airport. It's not a burning bush. Uh, if I see other lights, I know. Oh, that's the Withers house. That's the, you know, that's the store. That's because I can see forty, fifty, sixty miles, and I can, and I know what the lights I'm looking at. But when Moses looked out on the desert, he wasn't going to see lights, car lights, you know, or headlights or airport lights. If he saw a light, it was going to be a burning bush or somebody had a campfire. Well, he saw this, what he thought was a burning bush because he knew there was no camp there, but the light wasn't going out. So it didn't burn up. So he went to see it. And when he saw it, he talked to somebody from this light that said, I am that I am. It's the I am that is the way and the truth and the light. The I am is what I am. It is the truth about me. If you want to know the truth, you first need to know the truth about you. You need to know what you are, who you are. And if you're pointing your finger, it's their fault, their fraud, their lie. Their conspiracy. You're not going to see you. You need to look at you. People don't want to see that. So what happened, and, and this has become really pervasive. It's always been around, but it's really recently become pervasive. There is kind of an awakening, but most of the people who say they're woke, it's a joke. They're not woke. They're less than woke. They're, they're not awakening. But they have the delusion of being awakened. And so, I mean, I can show you this in so many different ways. But that's not really what we're, we're, we just don't have the time to do that. But people lack true understanding because they lack reason. And they try to get to reason or reasonable state by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't do that. You have to eat of the tree of life to understand that. If you, if you want understanding, if you, if you go to, uh, the first place the word understand shows up in the Bible is in Genesis 11, 7. And it says, go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And that that's where we're at today, is that our language is confounded, and people are confounding it more and more and more. You don't see the word understand again until Genesis 41.15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say that thee that thou uh, canst understand a dream to interpret it. How did Joseph know how to interpret a dream? Did he study dream interpretation? Well, maybe he did do some studying, but in order to really understand, you have to have this Holy Spirit. And he was touched by the Holy Spirit, was given this gift of understanding. 
And of course, that's what Peter, when he was given the keys, he knew who Christ was. Nobody understood who Christ was. Jesus says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Nobody could answer. You know, we, we start reading the Bible and we already know something about who Christ is. These guys were meeting this man named Jesus and they didn't understand. Even John the Baptist did not know Jesus was both king and high priest. He had to send messengers to say, are you the one? Much later. So, Peter knew, not because flesh and blood revealed it, not because he calculated it out with his mental capacity, that he figured it out. He rationalized it out. But it was not flesh and blood that revealed it, but his Father in Heaven, through this Holy Spirit. And that's what Christ builds his church on. So all my explanations are for no value unless you're willing to receive the Holy Spirit and see the fact that you're the problem. Your unwillingness to see the truth about yourself is going to keep you from seeing the truth about Scripture, truth about signs of the times, truth about what you should be doing today and what you should be doing tomorrow, what you should be eating. You know, people people go and eat. That's another reason the millennials are doing so badly is that their diet is horrible. Their visual diet, their mental diet, their physical diet are destructive and they don't see it because they are not following the way. If they were to follow the way, they would understand these things. But if they don't understand the truth about themselves, they will not follow the way. So it's kind of a catch-22. You cannot escape it. It's just round and around. You have to go in a particular direction. You have to turn around from the direction you've been going and go in this other direction. And so what we have is people out there, they want their safe space. And if you get too close to them, they will hit you. They will take away your safe space. They they want certain speech. And, uh, you know, if you don't use their pronoun, then they will take away your freedom. You know, the the compelled speech and compelled pronouns and stuff like that. Another story that came up, uh, some school has now opened up the girls' locker room to boys who think they are girls. So now the girls dress undressing, getting naked in the dressing room will have boys, clearly boys, standing there who claim to be girls and they get to go into the girls' dressing room because they're uncomfortable in the boys' dressing room even though they are boys because they think they're a girl or they identify with a girl. So their comfort, their feeling of discomfort in the boys' dressing room it's going to be remedied by making all the girls uncomfortable in the girls' dressing room. And they think they are being righteous. They're actually robbing people of their safe space to give a safe space to one individual. And that you see this pattern repeated over and over. They're literally robbing the privacy of the girls in order to satisfy someone who is suffering from a delusion. They're not a girl, they're a boy. 
They feel like a girl. They think they're a girl. They identify with a girl. And so now they get to go in and make all the girls feel uncomfortable so that they can feel comfortable. And they and the adults don't see it. You watch their faces. They cannot fathom. I mean, some do, but then they just get angry. They don't solve the problem. They lack reason. They are the existential threat, or they are the manifestation of the existential threat. But how do you become safe? Because Second Corinthians chapter 6 tells you how you can become safe. In this world that lacks reason. You know, this is, this is what we're facing. And if you get all upset and you get angry and you get fearful and you get antagonistic, you're not going to see the truth. You have to see yourself. You have to see your anger, your impatience in order to see the truth of the gospel. And when you start to really see the truth and walk in the ways of the truth, then many of these supposedly existential threats to your safety will go away. And when you gather together and actually do what Christ said to do, you have literally a force field of protection around you, which is the salvation of God. And God will hear your prayers. But you can't do it as some sort of, you know, like a concoction that you mix together and do. You have to really take a look at your own soul, your own heart, your own mind, your own motivation and intention. But that's... That's more difficult than it sounds. Because, for one thing, the truth hurts. If you want to know the truth, the truth will hurt. It will be painful for you to know the truth. Because the first truth you need to know is the truth about yourself. About your own selfishness. About your own vanity. Your own pride. You know, Christ had this message over and over again. The, the, the supposed adulteress who was going to get stoned. You know, he exposed those who would cast the first stones. Because they were not without sin. We don't need to cast any stones. We need to see the truth about ourselves. And coming together in small groups, interconnected in a network of charity, is one of the best ways I have ever seen on getting to know yourself. There are other things that you can learn. Uh, Christ talked about, you know, be still and know, and meditation, contemplating oneself, looking at oneself. And uh, that's part of it, you know, quieting the mind, quieting the ambition, quiet, fasting. Fasting from anger, fasting from lust, fasting from uh, all the things that drive our minds so that we cannot even think straight. And so some people try to use drugs to change that. That's another reason the millennials are less healthy. As the use of psychotropic drugs, not uh, prescription drugs, because of depression. You know, one of the reasons their lifespan, you know, they're talking 40%. Now, I haven't looked how they've calculated that, but I'll lay you odds. Suicide is one of the reasons why their life expectancy is dropping. Huge numbers in suicide. They're not only 
killing themselves, but they're also, you know, destroying their futures. And so therefore they're killing their unborn children that will never be because of the fact that they are led down a path to destruction. And I, we've talked to before the, these mass shooters that go out there and they shoot a bunch of other people or like one of the first ones down in Texas, he stabbed his family members and then he went up in the tower and started shooting people. And then of course he was going to shoot himself. This is, they are given over to a spirit of destruction because there are two spirits, the spirit of life and the spirit of destruction. There is the spirit of light and the spirit of darkness. These things are both either you're giving life or you're taking life. If you're taking life from others, your life is forfeited. This is why Christ says you lay down your life so that you pick up your life more abundantly. That, again, built in to the creative power of the universe. And if you don't understand that, it's probably because you don't understand your own problem. People think, oh, well, I'm going to get more life because right now we have the uh, mostly the Democratic Party. What is it, like 15 candidates? Or, I don't know, a lot of candidates out there. And they're promising you, we're going to take from these people to give to you. We're going to pay your loans, student loans. We're going to, we're going to give you health care. We're going to, we're going to give you guaranteed income. We're going to, we're going to give and give and give and give and give. We're going to do this because we're going to take from those bad people, those idle rich who do nothing, (laughs) those one percenters. Of course, nobody's doing the math. It doesn't work out mathematically speaking. But they think they will have life more abundant by taking life from others, taking away their rights. They're going to have a safe space because they they lock up or hit people. That's where you see these temper tantrums, screaming, yelling, tearing up signs, hitting people, kicking people, hitting them with bike locks and pipes and throwing stuff at them and uh, destroying, taking away their free speech think that they're going to have more freedom. That they've given themselves over or been given over to a spirit of destruction. And you 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 see the waves crashing about you, the emotional waves crashing about you. How do you get free of that? How do you escape that? How do you you see the destruction coming? How do you well you have to look at yourself. You have to go into your own heart and into your own mind and see the truth about yourself. That you don't really believe in Christ as much as you thought you did. You aren't really following the way of Christ. Your way is not really as straight as you would have liked to think. I mean, I I post on some, you know, home church groups and they just, some of the people get just worked up. They go crazy. Because I suggest that you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods through the power of government. But of course, we know coveting, to covetous practice should be made merchandise and that you would curse your children and all that's taking place already. But if you tell people the truth, they will turn on you. They hate you. You need the full armor of God. In order to get the full armor of God, you need to see the whole truth about yourself. You're not the minister of Christ. You're not the follower of Christ that you want to think you are. You are in need of repentance. So, in looking at 2 Corinthians, which we will start, well, we won't get all the way through it, 
But, you know, we finished up. I went back and listened to the recordings on um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and at least the last part of it, to see how far we got. Because very clearly Paul is talking about being workers. And he starts off right away in this 2 Corinthians with we then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. And we talked about that word grace, the the honor of God, this 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 gift of God. You know, the word grace or charis is where we get the word charity. The charity of God, you could almost say, in vain. Because if you do, it's not going to work well for you. You're, you're going, it's going to go bad for you. <laughs> but he talks about being workers together. And that particular word, workers together, that's actually one word in the text. To be these workers together. And um, it's, it doesn't show up a lot of times in the Bible. It shows up, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of how many times it does show up. About five times in the Bible. It's translated work with, help with, workers together, uh, work together. And it has, it means to work together, to help, to work, be partners in labor. The ministers of the church are supposed to be rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They cannot do that unless the people are providing them with the bread to divide. The world forces you to contribute to help one another. But Christ took the kingdom away from the Pharisees who were using force in their Corban. Their sacrifice was by force. It was compelled offerings. He took the kingdom away from them because that way doesn't produce fruit. And gave it, appointed it to his little flock, his disciples, his student ministers. And they were the ones who were going to rightly divide the bread from house to house. But they could only get the bread by not exercising authority. It had to be given by charity. If you're taking care of the needy of your society, the welfare of your society, the widows and orphans of your society, the inflicted, the sick, the injured of your society, through offerings that are forced from your neighbor, then you're not following Christ. You're not going the way of Christ. You you have need to repent and turn around and go the other way. And and Paul has been saying this right along. Tell you that you know the covetous have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, as well as you know the backbiters and all those other people. They have no inheritance because of what they're doing. They have no inheritance in the kingdom, even though they may say they believe. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well. That's serious stuff. And that's Paul saying that. But now he's talking about you working together. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He succored 
What what does he mean he's sucker? That that word shows up about eight times. It actually has a couple of different forms, but it, it it shows up basically about eight times to help. I have helped you. How did he do that? Well, we see right off when they needed aid to go to different parts of the Roman Empire, they had Barnabas and Paul doing it. They probably weren't the only ones doing it. We know they weren't the only ones because when Paul's headed to Corinth, he's talking about taking whoever they have that is collected from the free offerings of the people, the free will offerings of the people, the charity of the people, to take to Jerusalem. Why are they taking to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem would then redistribute it somewhere else. Because the head servants of the church were in Jerusalem for the most part. What do they mean, head servants of the church? The head ministers of the church. They were the best servants of servants of servants. If they weren't, don't send them any funds. Are they helping other people out? This is the decision everybody has to make. So when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to look into what Paul is actually instructing. And we're going to see if you can actually understand and get an understanding and a picture of the ministry of the church and how that functions different than the ministry of the world. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're in Second Corinthians chapter 6, and it begins with, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. We, then, as workers together. Workers together with who? We, who's we? Paul is a part of the church. The congregation of the people is a part of the congregation of the people. They are free assemblies. They are not taxed by the church. They receive and grant the offerings to the church And the church rightly divides the bread from house to house, creating a community of Christians. This is because they have a common communion. You are a communion. If you go to public school, if you take Medicare, my wife went to a chiropractor this week. That was another thing that was interesting. And she, she, uh, her hip was out evidently. And, you know, I could see it, but I'm not good at manipulating it. I, I massaged her back with oils and it got way better, but she still went and had her hip adjusted because she had a friend who was taking her in. As soon as she gets there, they say, oh, well, she hadn't been there in a while, but, uh, they they said, well, you're 65, uh, you can get Medicare. And she says, no, we don't do that. And she said, they looked at me like I was from another planet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and of course, I guess she is from another place. Um, it's not really another planet, but it's another realm. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, the people, they just can't imagine you know, oh, you get to take from your neighbor now because you're 65. You get to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Uh, the sacrifice of the fake Christian is making the word of God to none effect. We, we don't do it that way if you're a follower of Christ. That's not the straight way. It is not the right way. It is the covetous way of the world. It is a spotted religion. Now people say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You mean I can't take, you know, I have to, 
eat of the flesh and blood of Christ? I mean, I can't eat in the, of the flesh and blood of my neighbor through the men who exercise authority? Yes, that's simple. You can't do that. Got to go the other way. Otherwise, you haven't really repented yet. Now, okay, maybe it'll take you some time to repent. That's your journey. It's an individual journey. That's one of the things that everybody is is talking about where they talk about this uh, uh, division. Uh, I was trying to think of the actual word that they they use. I can't think of it. Uh, uh, intersectionality. Uh, where you divide people up into, well, you're black and you're a black woman, so now you get in a smaller group. If you're black, you're in one group, but if you're a black woman, then you're in another smaller group. And if you're a black woman with, you know, with children, then now you get into another smaller group, and this is the intersectionality. Well, if you keep going, eventually you get down to the individual, (laughs) which is... You know, what supposedly the Judeo-Christian idea of rights is dependent upon the rights of the individual and that are granted by God. But intersectionality is actually taking away the individual. That if you belong to this group, this group, you have more rights because you're you're dividing off into this group. So it's actually doing the absolute contrary of what it says it's doing. When And they hate the idea of the individual. And of course, you go back to people like Martin Luther King, that he wanted you to be judged by the content of your character as an individual, not by your intersectionality. So it's, it's completely reversed from what it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And that reversal is taking the world in a very bad direction. And the grace of God has been in vain for these people. Of course, a lot of them don't even believe in God. I don't know which is worse, the person who says they're an atheist or the person who says they believe in God but don't follow the ways of God. They're actually doing contrary to the ways of God. I don't, I don't, I don't need to know which one is worse, but I, both of them are very bad, and they are leading this whole world to destruction. But anyway, verse two, as we read before, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored, helped thee, and behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in watching, in fasting. He, in all these things, in all these difficulties of life, you're going to the church, to the ministers of God. And the ministers of God are there to help, to succor you. Because that was the thing that Corinthians were no longer going to the free bread of Rome because that was from men who exercised authority one over the other. That was from the fathers of the earth. And they would not pray to the fathers of the earth. 
the Patronus, the parents' patria, uh, social welfare systems of the state. They would not, because that system operated by force. While the system of Christ operated by charity, which is love. And it was creating a new dynamic. It was putting them in a new realm of energy and life. And he goes on to talk about this. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Making many rich. Well, that word there is actually enriching many. What what did he talk... The church was an international network of charity that helped one another out. And that the ministers were men of patience in, in your, in afflictions and in necessities and distress and stripes and imprisonment and tumults and all these difficulties that were coming to the different people and to the ministers themselves. They were there being the entire social welfare, putting on the full armor of God, which is the armor of righteousness. Taking care of all the social welfare of the people through faith, hope, and charity. Hearing the needs and prayers of one another. Helping not only their local congregation, but here you see Paul carrying funds from Galatia to Corinth and Corinth to Jerusalem. That was the kingdom of God. Not some self-righteous, I'm free. I, I, uh, they've committed fraud, so now I can go do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to show them my driver's license. You know, back to that driver's license issue. If you go up to the back of the car, (laughs) and you look down there, there's a plate on the car. And that, that plate has a number on it. And it also has a little sticker up there on the corner. And that's connected with a VIN number of that car. Because you don't own that car. You only have a legal title to that car. And if you want to use that car, you have to pay the use sticker, the use tax, the excise tax, the sticker, so that you get to use that car. And that use of the car is regulated. So you're in commerce. <laughs> so, And that's what that guy did not understand. But, of course, whoever was selling them this bill of goods that you don't have to uh, comply and you don't have to you know like because you have the right to travel and all this kind of stuff they only looked at a little bit of the law and and they came to conclusions but they didn't come to the truth because they think that it's all somebody else's fault 
They didn't look, want to look at what they may have done wrong. You have been made merchandise through covetous practices of your parents and your grandparents and you have now, you're in the bondage of Egypt worse than you ever were and you don't get out of Egypt one guy at a time. You get out of Egypt the way Moses got you out of Egypt by learning to take care of one another in hard times. And this is the same thing that was going on with Christ. Is that the people were learning to take care of one another and times were getting harder and harder and harder because the global warming that made everything so prosperous was now beginning to go away. (laughs) And eventually it would be completely gone by 500 AD. But uh, there were lots of other things going on. Lots of other existential threats. But he goes on to tell you in uh, verse 11. O ye Corinthians. And I'm speaking to Corinthians, but some of this can apply to you. Our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. You know, I care about you. That's what he's saying by enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in our own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath the righteous with the unrighteous? So he's saying, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Uh, we're, We're caring about you. That's what he's saying. But you also have to care about others. And he says, Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. You start caring about others. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Who are unbelievers? The unbelievers are those people who think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. It is okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It is okay to take away the safe space of all the girls who want to change in the locker room so that you can feel safe changing in the girls' locker room because you don't want to change in the boys' locker room even though you are a boy. And personally, I think you should all be homeschooling your children. <laughs> that would solve the problem, uh, at least for you. But you can see what's going on here is that they are taking away, they're robbing the safe space of all the girls so that one individual can supposedly feel safe in his delusion. Why? Because they are deluded also. They think they are saved and they are not. They think they are following Christ and they are not. Or they think they're following Moses and they're not. I don't know. They're... You know, maybe they're Jews or maybe they're Christians, maybe they're Muslims, but they're not following the ways of righteousness because they're robbing others of their rights. Of course, it didn't begin with, you know, uh, mixed dressing rooms. It began 
way back, it, it, I don't know when it began, but it at least began back there when they thought that they could take away, you know, impose property tax on their neighbors to force their neighbors to pay for the school that they wanted. That's a covetous practice. And they thought that was okay. It's not okay with God. It's okay with me if you want to do that. But then I'm not judged. But God is judged. And you're putting yourself in a realm where it's okay to take away from your neighbor. And that makes it okay for your neighbor to take away from you. You know, the government that can give you all the things that you want can, if it's powerful enough to do that, it's powerful enough to take away all the things that you have. Now, you have to realize that this is a system based on the idea of taking life from others. So it's only going to continue to take and take and take and take, which takes us back to Samuel, uh, for Samuel 8. That's what he's going to do that. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. And eventually you're going to cry out, but God's not going to hear you because you didn't hear the cries of anybody else when he was taking and taking and taking and taking. How many people are struggling to pay their property tax? This is property tax. I guess last month was property tax month. Everybody had to pay their property tax. Well, I know widows who struggle to pay their property tax. You know, because they don't have much money. And their kids aren't helping them out the way they should be. And so they suffer. And nobody cares. You know, and I could tell you in all kinds of stories. But, uh, you know, I see it. I've gone to bat for people. And I, I, in that process, I begin to see the spirit flowing in the people. You see the outside clothes. You see the flesh. You see their looks on their face, the way they got their hair comb. But you can actually start, when you start walking in the Spirit, you start seeing the Spirit of that individual. And then something else is taking place. But see, you become unequally yoked because, see, you're all in debt. You're all merchandise. You've all cursed your children and are cursed by your parents. Because that debt that they keep raising to pay all these benefits out, because your taxes don't go to pay these things. Social Security isn't just bankrupt now. It's been bankrupt from the beginning. It's never been solvent. And I can prove that in five minutes. That it's never been solvent because there is no division of funds. This is ruled over and over again. And it began because the United States was already bankrupt. And they needed more assets they needed you and they needed your children to become those assets. And that's what Social Security was all about. It was that you were becoming an asset. You are now, your children are born in debt. And it's real. It's not fraud. It's real debt. Now, there is no salvation from that except in Christ. But you're not in Christ unless you are actually enlarging your heart to take care of one another through laying down your life and sacrificing for one another. That's what you have to do. But you're now unequally yoked with unbelievers, people who believe in force. And and we see, you know, elections coming up now and the Democrats uh, want to take and take and take. Not that the Republicans are a lot better. They want to take and take and take and take too. They just don't want to quite 
do it to such an extreme. But it's still on the wrong side of the fence. It's not on the side of the fence of Christ. It's on the side of the fence of destruction. And so, Paul goes on to... To, to say that you're not to be unequally yoked because what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness. Well, you have communion with the world that exercises authority one over the other. That's who you go to when you want your Medicare, your Medicaid, your public school and all these other assistance. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What is that word infidel there? You know, is that, it, that, that's the word apistos. And it means that believe not. The unbeliever. The faithless. Doesn't live by faith, lives by force. They don't believe that you could actually live in a society that operated by charity. They think they have to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. That's an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God, that's you, with the idols? Well, what benefits do you get? What benefits are you entitled to? Now, I know guys who've gotten rid of their numbers and they supposedly get no benefits, although they often live with other people that are getting benefits. But the reality is they're not setting the table of the Lord. They have no wedding garment. And we talked about this last time, the wedding garment. You get cast out if you don't have any wedding garment. Well, how do you make a wedding garment? Well, the warp and weft, the left and the right. You have to be caring, enlarging your heart and caring about one another, serving one another and setting the table of the Lord can't just be running around to and fro. Christ said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and told his ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. If you're not doing that, you're not weaving the wedding garment. For ye are the temple of the living God. You're supposed to be. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. When that actually is taking place, you have a protection. And it's according to the will of God, so I'm not giving you any guarantees or warranties on the deal, but that's what you have to do. If you do not have a daily ministration that's taking care of all the social welfare of the people in a network of tens, hundreds of thousands reaching all around the world, then you are not his people yet. That's where you need to be going and that's where you need to be seeking. And But right now, most people have agreements with the, the temple of idols to get their benefits from them. They're, they're not the people of God. So therefore, when you get to verse 17, Wherefore, come out from amongst them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, I will receive you. But you're not there. You haven't got to verse 15 <laughs> and 16. You still have those connections with the world. 
You do not break the connections with the world. You cannot free yourself. Moses was not taking people to the edge of the desert one at a time saying, run for it. He was teaching the people how to enlarge their hearts and take care of one another in hard times with short rations. And then, after they were doing that, they were ready enough to leave. They still had more to learn, but at least now they were ready to leave. And God had them cast out. They weren't called out of Egypt. They were cast out of Egypt. Levites were called out. The Levites were the church. In the wilderness. They were the called out. And the apostles were the called out. The congregants aren't the called out. They're called to repentance. But they weren't called out of the system. In that verse 17. Wherefore come out from amongst them. And be separate. Saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean things. And I will receive you. You're not to the point where you can touch not the unclean things. Because you haven't been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of one another. Which is what Christ was teaching the people how to do way back there. We're still at the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And, you you know, the ministers who followed John the Baptist. We know Paul gets to Ephesus and he comes upon ministers who were taught of John the Baptist, who were in Ephesus teaching the way of God. And they didn't even know about Jesus Christ. Evidently, they they weren't on the internet. Oh, I guess there wasn't an internet. <laughs> they had not found out about Christ, because this is a little while after, you know, Pentecost and everything, but they really hadn't got the message. Now, they might have heard rumors, but they didn't get a real good explanation Paul gave him an explanation and opened up a school to teach more ministers, teach more people. But they also were accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus because a lot of the people were now leaving the membership of the temple at Ephesus, which you could do still then because it was freedom of religion, and joining another temple and getting their benefits from the temple of God. They could let go of, it wasn't until like 200 AD that they outlawed private religion. Religion was the social welfare system of the people. You either had your religion through the government temples set up by, uh, people like the Pharisees and, uh, people like Augustus where you signed up and you had to pay in or you signed up with the Christians where They didn't exercise authority. They didn't compel your offerings. They operated by charity. Because that was the straight way of the Lord. Because people have to have this individual choice to lay down their life daily to pick up their life more abundantly. It's an individual walk, but it's an individual walk together in the righteousness of God. People don't understand how that works. They're not even doing it. They don't. Even, they go to church to get their ears tickled to feel good about themselves. That is not the way to do it. That is not following Christ. That is not following the way. That is certainly not the straight way of Christ. And we need to repent and go the other way, which is the way of Christ. In order to do that, Join the network. We'll be right back. 
Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, if you have been following along at preparingyou.com on 2 Corinthians 6, I, I looked and saw I was missing some of the text of 2 Corinthians on that page. And uh, I have now added it along with about uh, half a dozen or a dozen links to other articles on some of the subjects that are mentioned in that last paragraph of 2 Corinthians 6. And so if you were, if you're on that page, if you've been on that page, go ahead and refresh it. You should see all those links. Links to words like, uh, communion. What's communion? What's fellowship? What's righteousness? What does it mean to be unequally yoked? Why do they bring that up? How are you yoked with unbelievers? And who are the unbelievers? Who are the believers? Uh, all those are, uh, links now where you can go to other articles that explain this. But a lot of people will not go to those. A lot of people aren't even on uh, listening to this because of the fact that they don't want to actually follow the ways of Christ. They aren't willing to enlarge their hearts. They have to lower their egos, to shrink their egos enough to enlarge their hearts. Charity is about sacrifice. Sacrifice is about charity. Offerings are about sacrifice. The same words are interchangeable in the Old Testament. They don't have the word charity in the Old Testament. They have free will offerings, which is the essence of charity. But the same word charity is the same word love. If you're operating by force, if you're providing for one another by force, you are contrary, going contrary to the ways of Christ. You are doing the opposite of what Christ said and you are not a Christian. You have need of repentance. You need to turn around and go the other way because you are yoked today. You go to those other articles that I've now linked on in those words like fellowship and communion and believers. And you will see other articles that go and put all these pieces of the puzzle together of what Christ was really telling us to do. People think, oh, well, you know, I help out. You know, I'm a nice guy. You know, I'm not going out. I'm not a mass shooter. Yeah, I covet my neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, but my church tells me that's okay. I have to rebuke you and say, no, that's not okay. And that that's actually against what Christ said to do. And I mean, it's not hard to prove because it's right there. You, it, you're not to be that way. It is not to be that way with you. And he's talking specifically about governments. You see the princes of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. Does that sound familiar at all? Isn't that what Obama was? He was going to get what, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, they're going to give you and give you and give you and give you. And to tell you the truth, Trump's doing the same thing. He's just not doing it to the extreme of Bernie Sanders. You know, when they have this whole impeachment hearing that at the time we're making this recording, that, well, I don't know, they've had five days of these impeachment hearings, which is total lack of rational behavior. It's just insane what's going on. You know, but... The, while everybody was watching that, they had another vote and passed uh, and, and extended the Patriot Act. 
I remember, you know, I'm one of those few guys that has read at least one of the Patriot Acts. There's Patriot Act 1 and Patriot, Patriot Act 2. But even before the Patriot Act, there was the Domestic Anti-Terrorist Act. That was introduced into Congress by Senator Biden. And when he, he introduced that into Congress, to be ratified, he says, I myself have grave reservations about its contact. That was Biden saying that. Uh, Susan Harris, who's, uh, you know, uh, a lawyer and uh, professor, said that 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 act, which was far less draconian than the Patriot Act, rolled back Jewish jurisprudence to pre-Magna Carta. <laughs> and I actually even pointed out that in the context of the that when I read it, I says they're making suspicion a crime that you can be arrested for, put into jail without trial. Suspicion becomes a crime. That, you know, when I first read that, it reminded me of Tiberius, who made suspicion a crime. You could be arrested and tortured on the basis of suspicion. Not proof, not evidence, not testimony, but suspicion. So we're, we're, history is repeating itself, and of course nobody has studied history, and they, they don't know the law. They, they don't even know their own laws. They don't, you know, they want to play Monopoly, but they don't want to rule, read the rules of the games. It's like five-year-olds, you know, trying to play the game, but not knowing the rules. Well, do you know the rules of Christ? Do you know the rules of Christ? The rules of Christ is that you cannot covet your neighbor's goods. The rules of Christ are the rules of God. Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's, even if he is rich. You cannot be a socialist and a Christian. Yet there are people today telling us that Christ was a socialist. No, he wasn't. There's no evidence along those lines. But of course, evidence is not important to these people. It's about feelings. People want to feel saved. They want to feel safe. They want to they wanna feel righteous. They don't want to be righteous. They don't even want to look at themselves. Therefore, they do not have the truth. Because I am the truth. You have to want to know yourself, the truth about yourself, to know the truth about everything else. And, you know, people want to dabble in philosophy and religion and but they don't want to really make that commitment that the early Christians were making, the Corinthians were making. They were, in hard times, they had to take care of one another. That was difficult. But that created bonds between them because they sacrificed for one another. That created bonds between them and God, the Father. And who could now enter into them. Wherefore, come out of amongst them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
when the apostles were learning to be the ministers of Christ, he said that not servants, but brothers. But are you a brother to Christ if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods? I said, you know, I had the temple of God with idols. What agreements do you have? See, because those agreements bind you. And people say, I don't remember making any agreement. I can show you where you made the agreement. And, and that's why we wrote the book Covenants of the Gods. 15 chapters showing you how you make agreements, your parents make agreements. And because the greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities and benefits. And you're all taking the benefits. Even you guys who are living in your mother's basement or your girlfriend's house who is getting by because she is, you know, or they are obtaining benefits from the government of the world and you're living in their house. That's not the way it works. You 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 create obligations. You you create a contract. You know, I've explained this many times before. I mean if you if you're out in the wilderness and you're starving to death and you're going to faint away dead and the vultures are grilled for the, they're flying over your head. And, uh, you come upon a goat that's just wandering out there and you see it has a collar and it must have an owner. You kill that goat, cook it up, eat it, and you live. You, you didn't sign any contract, but you have an agreement now. You're either a thief or you have an agreement with the owner to pay him back for that goat. You you killed it not because you wanted to steal it, but because you did not. And necessity makes the law. You have made an agreement to pay him back. And now you have to seek to pay him back. Except they know you ate the goat. <laughs> and now you're unequally yoked. Because you took the benefit. You Animal farm. The book Animal Farm, it's telling you. But the fact is, is what I'm saying, is that when you begin to walk in the ways of Christ and take care of one another, enlarge your heart to care for others, obey his commandment to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, when you start doing that, something begins to take place. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them... And walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. But you've been binding yourself with Belial. Uh, on the on the page of preparing you, there's a link to Belial there, which actually is a link to the article on Nicolaitan. And there's talk in Revelations about who are the Nicolaitans. They are the conquered people. How did the people get conquered? How, how were they conquered? By enemies coming in and forcing them to fraud? No. Uh, they were conquered. Through covetousness. That's how they were made merchandise. You know, Revelations 2, 6. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. 
and the Nicolaitan are the conquered people. We, we go through this in that article. You can go read the article. But Nico has to do with conquered. Laeti, Laeten, has to do with people, the conquered people. And, you know, it's equated in the text with Balaam and the son of Bozer. And, and uh, which is from the Hebrew word uh, Baal. But that same, if you read in Jude 10, put these, but these, speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. It's the same problem, once you understand what was going on in all these different instances, Cain, Nimrod, they were all creating social welfare systems that bound the people, made them belong to, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you keep the stuff, give me the people, but Abraham wouldn't take the stuff. So I assume he didn't give them the people either. But the people actually belonged to the state. But the state provided them with benefits. That's how they became in the bondage of Egypt. Because you ate the benefits of Pharaoh and then you, that you sold yourself into bondage. If you've taken the benefits, you have the contract. It's not fraud. <laughs> you, I've, I don't know who you plan on improving fraud from, but you are in bondage. People don't want to hear that. That they're in bondage. Balaam. That, that law meaning people, Bal meaning conqueror. The conquered people. It's the same, that's why it's equated together. This error of Balaam. Casting a stumbling block before the church of God by upholding the liberty of eating things sacrificed to idols as well as committing fornication. In other words, making agreements. You, you're not supposed to be eating of that table. Even if you don't make agreements, you're not supposed to be eating of that table. You know, and Paul talks about that in great detail in other places, you know, but... Uh, and, and we've gone over that many times. So what are the wages of unrighteousness? What are the rewards of unrighteousness? You know, when I, I just noticed on the Nicolaitan page that uh, I've written articles now consistently on a regular basis uh, on all these subjects, and now those articles are overlapping. So you can approach this from so many different directions. And it still comes back to the same thing. There's just no way you can excuse the covetous practices of looking to the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. They're only going to give you what they took away from others. You're not laying down your life. You're You're taking a bite out of one another. That is not the way of Christ. That is not the way of the early church. That is not the way of Christianity. And therefore, God is not in you. You may have an emotional experience, but God is not in you. 
Now, it's not about hating the system. You leave judgment to God. It's not about, you know, getting out of the system. It's about, if you seek the system of God, this is what, when the people of Egypt begin to take care of one another during the plagues, and, and they begin to provide for one another during the plagues of Egypt, when things kind of settle down, the Pharaoh cast them out. And that's, of course, what they were trying to get to the point where they'd be cast out. But they were now ready to go out because of the fact that they had learned to set the table of the Lord. They had learned to take care of one another. When they left, they left with the sick, the infirm, the young, the old. And now they're they've gone from a sedentary life to now they're they're traveling. Migrating through some pretty rough country. But they had the protection of God. They weren't out there running off in every direction saying we're free. They had done what Christ eventually would tell the people to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another. Later on when Jezro talks about sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He's not talking about... Everybody knew about the tens, hundreds, and thousands before Jethro. But he was talking about a system of appeals courts in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Through the the ministers who would become the, the Levites of the system. That they were to help him so that he did not have to hear all these judgments. They could decide these bases on the basis of their local congregations if they couldn't settle it there they could go up to another level of the tens, hundreds, and thousands or they could go up to another level until they finally found a resolution and eventually they would get up to the Supreme Court with Moses and actually with the Sanhedrin which Moses set up which was all a part of this appeals court system which they call the cities of refuge because this It's always been the government of God. But the key difference between the government of God and the governments of the world is the government of God operates by charity, by free will offerings, by free assemblies. Not by democracy, but by a pure republic, what Tacitus calls Libera Res Publica. But Tacitus didn't believe it was possible. You know, always desired, but never possible. It is possible with the righteous. But no man is righteous unless God is in him. How do you get God in you? How do you get God to hear you? How You have to serve one another. How do you get God to forgive you? You have to forgive one another. Most of the people who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is because they won't forgive. They won't forgive this person or that person. They can't get along with this person or that person. Or they don't persevere. They don't do all those other things that Paul was talking about. Remember that big long list in in this where he's talking about, uh, you know, he, he talks about by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, and by the Holy Ghost, by unfeigned love, unfeigned charity, charity that does not quit. It's sometimes hard to get charity to even start with some people. That they want to think they're charitable because they give, 
you know, 20 bucks here and there to somebody who says that we're going to take care of this person or that person or we're going to, you know, Salvation Army or uh, United Way or whatever it is that, you know, Red Cross. But that's the kingdom is this people who are yoked by righteousness. Not by contracts, covenants, and constitution. Not by their their greed and their lust. The church was taking care of everybody within that network and actually sometimes reached outside of that network and helped other people, which brought blessings of its own. I mean, there were many times where people who were not Christians came to the defense of Christians, hid Christians, protected Christians, uh, traded with Christians, provided for Christians. And of course, even though they weren't a part of the network, Christ says, you come into the kingdom. Why? Because you clothed me when I was naked and fed me when I was hungry. And But, you know, the people who are really sold their soul to evil, they will yell and scream. They will not want to help you. They will betray you. They will go against you. But if you're walking in Christ and Christ in you, you will know where to step. You will, you can walk through a minefield and know where to step because you will have that power of God in you and the armor of righteousness protecting you. So unless you were willing to go that way, <laughs> you, you may not want to venture outside much because life could get very difficult for you. So anyway, we're going to be going on to uh, 2 Corinthians 7. It talks about all filthiness is what I entitled the first paragraph of this. And again, this is not an extremely long chapter. It's a pretty short chapter. A person could get through it pretty quick, but we'll probably go through it mostly this afternoon. Uh, but he talks about for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled in every side without were fighting within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Uh, so here he got, he was having all this infighting and backbiting that was going on when they were in Macedonia, but he got good news from Titus about the Corinthians. And he's writing to them in this letter saying that he got this good news and it was a comfort to him. Uh, and I remember the story of Brendan the Navigator, which was about 400 AD. He supposedly came here to the United States or to America. It wasn't the United States back then in 400 AD. Uh, but he also, was a minister on an island off the coast of Ireland. And they were just feuding and fighting and bickering. And actually, sometimes people were dying in the feuds and fighting. And uh, he, But he was trying to teach them the ways of Christ, and they would not get it. They they just kept dividing one another. And finally, he, just, he said, I'm out of here. He left them. He disappeared. 
and he was gone. He went back to the mainland, and he was teaching back there and, and, and being a minister back there. The church was this giant network all over the place. And they knew who each other were, but everybody doesn't know who each other were. But eventually, the people of the island came and said, you know, we remember what you said, and now will you come back and show us how to do it? Well, I'm hoping for that day. <laughs> But that people will start to follow the way. But sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. Well, guess what? I think it's going to be getting worse. But until then, I'm going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net